And so uh, wish it could have been better circumstances, but because of my belief, it is better circumstances. And so, and so we're going to have fun over the next four sessions and, uh, and do what it do. Now, uh, like he mentioned, I am the, the chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys. Am I in the right place? Yes, sir. <laughs> I heard something about the Philadelphia Eagles when I was back there. I was thinking, I don't know what's going on out there. <laughs> yeah, so there he is back there. There's a few of you thinking, okay, you're the chaplain of the Cowboys. Well, you need to do a better job, buddy. I need to pray harder or something. I don't know what's going on over there. Um, but we'll talk about that uh, a little bit too. I've, I've ran into some of my high school buddies. My boy Michael Dudley's over here, played college football, I mean high school football together, won the state championship together in high school. And so, got some connections. This is also my 37th year at Pine Cove Christian Camp. And I'm 37. I came in diapers. So God can bring you a long way. Let's start with a word of prayer, and then I want to jump right in. Heavenly Father, we love you. We honor you. We give you the praise and glory for who you are. If you don't do anything else, you've already done enough by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Help us to believe in it, but even more and beyond that, help us to live in light of it. Help us to not be men, in the, men of the shadows, but help us to stand right on the front lines. We love you and we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. It was 2006. I was with the San Diego Chargers in training camp. Football was a big deal in my life. Like I said, I, we won the state championship in high school. Then I went and got a full scholarship to play for the Baylor Bears, and that was the pre-RG3 era. Yeah. So we weren't good. I told him we were laying the foundation for when he got there, when RG3 got there, but uh, that's the best we did. But I played there, played fullback and tight end, and, and my coach said, I think you got a chance, you got a shot to make it to the NFL. And I said, do you think so? He said, yes, I think so. So I'm going to coach you up, I'm going to try to get you there. 2005, I was uh, in the draft class and ended up with the Dallas Cowboys with Bill Parcells and... I came into that draft class with DeMarcus Ware and Marion Barber and Jay Ratliff and, and Marcus Spears. We all came in together. And I had just that one thing that I wanted to do. is That's the play in the NFL, and we'll hear more about that later. But I remember in 2006 when I was with the San Diego Chargers, and I had, had been traded over there, as I like to say, and we were in training camp. Training camp back in 2006 was a beast. Because that was before all of these rules where you can't hit anybody. <laughs> they care less about your whole existence in 2006. We were just out there trying to make it. And I remember you get up at 6 a.m., you wouldn't get back to your room till 9 p.m. You would have two, sometimes three practices in one day. All of them would be full pads and and it was just real tough. I remember by day four, the veterans were already talking about retirement. It happened every year like clockwork. 
the rookies were calling their moms and saying, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. Get, get everything ready for me. I'll be home soon. It was hard. By day five, we had already been through about 15 practices. We were forgetting what day it was. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. And if it was a light, it was just the light of an oncoming train. Because <laughs> training camp was just hard. I'll never forget day seven. Day seven, I'll never forget it because it was just sloppy. It was terrible. Philip Rivers was throwing interceptions. Well, I guess that's not that uncommon. <laughs> Glad he's not here. LaDainian and Tomlinson fumbled twice, which was un uncommon. We had lights out. Sean Merriman was missing tackles back then. I mean, it was just a terrible practice. Everybody was feeling themselves. I mean, it was already 20 practices in, and everybody's kind of feeling themselves, and we're just kind of going through the motions. And I looked over, and I saw that the head coach had taken notice, but he didn't say anything, so I kind of just thought we got away with one. That is, until we came to the team meeting room on day eight. It was 7 a.m. I'll never forget it. The head coach walked into the room, and we were mumbling, grumbling, and groaning. Guys slouched down in their chairs just trying to make it. And when the head coach entered the room, all went quiet. Because the elephant just entered the room. He goes by the name of Marty Schottenheimer. Tough guy. Bill Parcells error type coach. But also one of the greatest motivators of all time. I'll never forget this time because he came in front of the room and he just paced and he looked. He just paced and he looked for about five minutes as if to see what we were thinking. He was looking every individual right in the eyes. And five minutes with no talking just seems like an eternity. So I scooted forward in my seat and I sat up straight and I was looking at him like, what is this man about to do? And then finally he began to speak. He said, men, I did not just cast a net in hopes that the great players that I needed to win a Super Bowl right here with the San Diego Chargers in 2006 would just so happen to fall into it. That's not the way I work. You were hand-selected, cherry-picked, chosen by none other than myself, and I'm Marty Schottenheimer. I don't make mistakes with who I choose. I watched your film beforehand so I knew exactly where to place you on my team so that we can accomplish what we've set out to accomplish. I know you are here for a purpose and a reason because I've selected you for that purpose and that reason. I've given you a book that I know works because it's been tried and tested throughout my entire career. I've given you a coaching staff that can coach you up on how to execute the book that I've given you. I've given you a facility. Most importantly, men, I've given you a uniform with your name on it. But you got to do something for me. I've given you the book. I've given you the coaches. I've given you the uniform. I've set you up for success. But if you don't maintain the integrity of the uniform that I wear, then you'll nullify the promise that I'm making. It's on you. Everything has already been set up. So stop whining, grumbling, groaning, and complaining. Stand up, strap on your pads, put on your helmet, and meet me on the 50-yard line because the time for your greatness will start right now. I'm kind of feeling that right now. <laughs> Don't nobody move because you might get hit. Every player of any sport 
remembers a coach getting after him a little bit. Well, that was one of mine. I mean, and that's just the paraphrase version, but I'll never forget it. Because in 2009, when I had retired from the Washington Redskins, I know Washington, Dallas, but who cares? To players, they all write checks. <laughs> when I retired from the Redskins, as football had been my identity my entire life, and I saw what was going on in my family. I saw what God was doing with my dad. I saw what God was doing with my mom. I saw what God was doing with my sister Priscilla, who some of your wives have been reading her Bible studies. And if you've seen War Room, she was the leading actress in War Room. I saw what, my, what God was doing with my brother Anthony and my sister Crystal, but it seemed like I kind of felt like I was being left behind. I'm just kind of grumbling, groaning, and complaining. I'm slouched down in my spirit. I'm not really recognizing that I was called for a purpose. Yes. And then I got the, the knock on the door of my heart as I was praying one day, and the Holy Spirit said, Jonathan. I said, huh? He said, you remember that speech Marty gave you back in 2006? I said, how can I forget it? He said, haven't I said the same thing to you? You say in Romans 8:29 that those that he foreknew, he already predestined. Those that he predestined, he already called. Those that he called, he already justified. Those that he justified, he glorified. So what then can you say? If God is for you, then who in the world can be against you? Amen. And at that moment, that's when I realized, wait a minute, I have been called and you have been called. Your sons have been called. Your daughters have been called. Your wives have been called to nothing less than greatness in the kingdom of God. Right. And the last time I checked, he's God. He don't make mistakes with who he chooses. So if you're sitting in this room right now, it's not by mistake. It's because he watched your game film beforehand and knew exactly what position he wanted you to play on his kingdom team. We've got too many men today who are sitting on the bench when they've been called to make big plays. They're mumbling, groaning, and complaining, trying to figure out, am I just here to just get by? No. God is not a just get by God. Therefore, you cannot just be a just get by man. In your marriage, in your singlehood, with your children, with your legacy, at your job, with your career. What are you doing with your life? Oh, I don't know. I'm just trying to make it. Hmm? My dad always told me, you know, life is like a dollar bill. You get to have it, but you're only going to spend it once. Spend it well. <laughs> why not find out why you were placed, cherry-picked, chosen by none other than the greatest coach of all time? Tonight, I just wanted to start, start out by encouraging you by letting you know that each individual in this room, including myself, including our families that are under the sphere of our influence, have been chosen for specific greatness in God's kingdom. So if you feel like you're slouched down, grumbling, groaning, and complaining, let me tell you how to get back up. In Genesis chapter 12, there was a man named Abe, a boy Abraham. I want to start with him. Over the next four sessions, I'm going to pick great men of the Bible and draw conclusions from their lives so that you can use their blueprint to follow in order to get to where God is calling you. 
three of my favorite verses in the Bible. I'll probably say that every session. I like a lot of them. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. A boy named Abraham was called to greatness. It simply says this. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless, the, bless you and curse those who curse you. In other words, I'll have your back. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Hey, y'all didn't get that. Hold on, let me read that one more time. I don't think y'all heard that because the Bible really has the ability to preach itself. If you, just, if you just read it and sit with it for a second. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And when you get there, I'm going to make you a great nation. Talking about your legacy. I'm going to make you a great name. He won't forget you. I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Just walk. I got it. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will experience a blessing. Now, is there anybody in the room that wants to be blessed like that? I know I'm, I'm in on that. We want to be blessed, but let me tell you how it starts out. Because in biblical hermeneutics, you can't start at the bottom. You've got to start at the top. You want the blessing. Well, go forth from your relatives and from your country and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. What is he telling Abraham? I want you to leave your history, your will, your way, your thought process, the way that you think that doesn't agree with me, everything that you're comfortable with and where you've become settled, I need you to get up and go before I'll do anything with you. You see, Abraham in the previous chapter in verse 31 had already settled in a place called Haran. The word settled doesn't mean camped. Camped means we're still going somewhere. Settled means I've dropped anchor. I ain't going nowhere. Settled means I'm okay where I am spiritually. I'm okay where I am in my marriage. I'm okay in how I operate raising my children. I'm okay with how I'm sleeping around in my singlehood. I'm okay with how I'm living my life. Settled means I'm done. And even though Abraham was settled, when the voice of the Lord came to Abraham, it unsettled him from the place he was settled. That lets me know something, that just because you're settled doesn't mean God's settled. That just because you're happy where you are doesn't mean God is happy where you are. That just because you think you're finished doesn't mean God is actually finished. It also tells me when the word of the Lord speaks to a man, it actually unsettles. It's an unsettling word. Many men think God is, God is talking to them when they hear that voice in their head that's thinking what they're already thinking. Man, that's not God's voice. That's your voice. That's why it sounds like you. It's the same voice you heard when someone cuts you off on the freeway and you're not saying something pleasant. It's that voice. And what we do is we subconsciously try to get God to sign off on our pre-existing thoughts. Well, God told me that. That's why I'm doing it. Mm -mm. Isaiah 55, as high as the heavens are above the earth are my ways from your ways and my thoughts from your thoughts. I'm not thinking what you're thinking. I will break you from what you're thinking. I'm that unsettling thought that's trying to get you out of that settled place of unforgiveness. I'm that unsettling thought that's trying to get you back in correlation with your wife that you've been estranged from. 
I'm that unsettling thought that's trying to get you back in a relationship with your son that you've been okay with being out of relationship with. I'm that unsettling thought that you're trying to push off and get away from because you're okay exactly where you are. I'm that unsettling thought that's saying, I would like more relationship and time with you. I know you've been okay where you are, but I'm not okay where you are. I'm that unsettling thought that's telling you something that doesn't make sense. Why would you leave that career that pays this much and go to ministry that pays that much, but you just can't shake that thought? The reason why you can't shake that thought is because God is talking. And it will rock you from what you're thinking. It will rock you from where you're settled. It will pull you back into righteousness. It will pull you in the direction that he is calling you in. Why? Because he's holding the confetti of greatness in his hands, and he's not going to drop it until you move. It was always that way. Noah, build a boat. I know you ain't never seen rain. Do it anyway. David, shepherd boy, get ready to be king. Hmm? It was always that way. Time after time after time, men and women of the Bible were called, and it was always unsettling from what they thought. Hey, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. I know you're too old for it, but we're going to do it. Ha ha, that's funny. <laughs> you got to be joking. Who comes up with this stuff? Trust me, I'm telling you, it's not you. So if it's your thought, just be honest. It's just your thought. But some of you are recognizing the unsettling thought. And that unsettling thought that you can't shake, that you've been trying to shake for the last 10 years, you've been settled somewhere, but God is calling you and talking to you, and he's been doing it for years, and you're wondering why you can't shake it, the reason why you're trying to shake it is because you're comfortable where you are, but you're trying to shake this thought, and it is a persistent, very specific, same thought over and over and over again. God is talking. Because as high as the heavens are above the earth, you're like, there's no way that'll work out. There's no way if I go back to this direction that she'll ever forgive me. There's, no, there's not a chance. My logic doesn't connect with that thought. All the while, God is holding the confetti of his greatness and your greatness, your experience of who he is in his hand, and he's not going to let it go until you obey. Abraham, go forth from your country, from your relatives, everything that you have become comfortable with. I know you've dropped anchor. I could care less about that. I've got a plan for your life that's greater than than your plan for your life. I like stopping from time to time in my messages just to give you a chance to think about your life. When I was having devotion and thinking about this, I was like, man, there's a couple of things that I've been running from. One of them was ministry itself. I mean, who wants to preach when you're Tony Evans' son? That's dumb. <laughs> That's like being Michael Jordan's son and playing for the Bulls. Boo. I can't tell you how fast I ran from that stuff. But I couldn't shake it. I'm just running. And while I'm running, God is like, you're, you're just wasting your own life. You're just wasting your own time. 
And if you wait too long, I'm going to give the confetti of your greatness to the next generation. Ask the people of Israel. The first generation, did they get in? Nope. But did God give them a promise? So God has the ability to make promises that you never experience. Well, then wait, doesn't that mean that God broke his promise? No, he just holds it in time for the next man. We get one shot. The more that I'm recognizing this as people have fallen in my family. I'm just like, forget it. Chips all in. Let's go. Don't have much time to be messing around. So, but it starts very uncomfortable. It's, it's not nice. Go forth from everything that you think you... And as I'm talking, there are several men in this room that are considering that, that thought that's been coming and coming and coming. This weekend, consider that thought. Because it's your life and it's your greatness and it's your confetti he would like for you to experience. When I was with the Cowboys in 2005, one of the things that Parcells did, which we all hated, was fiddle with our stance. When we got to our first day of training camp, you know, DeMarcus Ware was always in a three-point stance because he was in a defensive end. He had to get up into a two-point stance because we ran a 3-4 defense. Marion Barber's stance was really wide, and Bill Parcells would get down there physically and grab your foot and start yanking and tugging it. And so he made uh, Marion get into a narrow stance because a narrow stance means you have a bigger first step. Okay, so he was fiddling with our stance. Fullback, he pulled my stance in. He put my hand further down. I mean, we couldn't stand that stuff. Why? Because we had had the same stance for the last eight years. That's what got us here. And you get comfortable with that particular stance. And now that we're trying to make a team, you're going to start fiddling with my feet? Man, stop touching me. <laughs> I mean, we're in the locker room going off. Who is this dude? Man, he's actually Bill Parcells. And I remember him coming into the media room and saying, hey, guys, I know most people don't know Bill Parcells was a player's coach. He was kind of mean to the media, but we loved him. And he'd come in and he'd say, hey, guys, I know you're frustrated with me messing your stance up, but I'm just trying to make you better. The reality is that stance won't work in this league. It worked in high school. It worked in college. But this league is a little bit quicker. Matter of fact, a lot quicker. This league, those inches turn into centimeters and millimeters. Your stance, how you start, will determine whether you experience a championship or your head is walking off the field. Your head is hanging down, walking off the field. It's, it's all in how you start. And I realized all he was saying is, if you want to make it in the big leagues, you've got to be willing to change your stance. And there's some men who aren't playing at the level for the kingdom of God that they should be simply because... They're unwilling to change their stance. They're unwilling to change their stance on how they treat their wife. They're unwilling to change their stance on how they treat women, period. They're unwilling to change their stance on how they hang out, what they do, how they treat people, how they raise their children. They're, they're, there's all of these different things that you can think of in your own mind. And because of that, you're missing out on confetti by centimeters and millimeters, but that's all it takes. He says, Abraham, men, go. Go forth from your country, wherever that is, 
your father's house, wherever you're sitting pretty and comfortable. Your relatives and maybe some people you know that you need to Go. The Spirit has been pushing and prodding many men in this room for a long time. Man, go. Go. Do it. I, I know you don't feel it. I care less about that. Do it. I've never had a coach say, hey, Jonathan, I'm about to call this play. You comfortable with it? What do you feel about it? care less. He has a plan. Go. And we just run in full trust and faith. Many of you know what that go is. And you know it personally because you've been ignoring it for a long time. That's the smallest word in these three verses that we'll read. The biggest impact if Abraham doesn't go, there's no experience. Smallest word. So I wanted to study it because it had the biggest impact. So, you know, seminary students, I studied go in Assyriac, Latin, Spanish, Hebrew, Greek. You know what go means? It means go. It literally renders, don't stay where you are. So it means it's an easy word to interpret. What's my point? Then why do we act like it's such a hard word to interpret? Go. And he's not stuttering. Straight up. I can't speak to your specific go and you can't speak to mine, but you know what it is. And this weekend, my hope is that we draw conclusions. Go to the land where I will show you. You know why it's hard to not obey that small word? is because of what I just said. In the scripture right here, he says, Abraham, I need you to go to the land which I will show you. That's future tense. I don't like that. I need you to show me that the grass is at least as green on the other side before I jump this fence. That's why we don't move. It doesn't make sense. I ain't feeling it. I can't see it. I don't think it's going to work out. I'm, not, I'm unsure. This is not that. God ain't worried about that. Go. And when you go, I will show. Most of us are asking God to operate out of order with his own word. We want God to show before we go. But God doesn't operate out of order with his own word. The word of, the, the word of God is God breathed. That means everything's in its place for a reason. He says, go, and then when you go, I will show. Some of us are waiting on God, and God is like, man, I'm waiting on you, and I got more time than you. first. But when you go, then I will show. That's a hard pill to swallow. But don't expect God to do something that's out of order with himself. Because that's one thing he cannot do. Be out of order with himself. 
He's waiting on you. In our church, we install motion detector lighting. The reason why we install motion detector lighting is because people who don't pay bills don't turn off lights. So we had to figure out a way to save on our electric bills. Dad's looking at your teenage sons. So we had to figure out a way. So we installed motion detector lighting. It operates very simply. You walk into the room, the power is already installed. It experiences movement on the ground. Then the person on the ground experiences power in the air. If there's no movement in the room, the lights are off. It doesn't mean that there's no power in the room. It just means there's no movement in the room. You want to know why you're not experiencing God's plan for your life and God's power in your life? Because you ain't moving. Oh, the power is there. It's been there. It wasn't even created. But it's only when you move do you get to experience the power that's always been there and that is your father that wants to work on your behalf. Go, Abraham. Go, men. And when you go, I will show. It's simple. It's a word called faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. I sat down with my dad when I was a senior in high school because I wanted to know how he made it from his point A to his point B. You don't know my dad's story. He grew up in the inner city of Baltimore, Maryland, where the word statistic derives its meaning. Raised by high school dropouts. In an ungodly house. Nobody was saved in our family's history. I mean, that's just the way it was. And then one day my granddad got saved too, Daddy. And he brought it to my dad. And then all of a sudden, became the first to graduate from high school in our family's history, first to go to college. He first African-American to get a PhD from Dallas Theological Seminary. Started a church with 10 people in a house that now has 12,000 members. Started a radio broadcast in his garage that is on 1,000 stations in over 130 countries. Has been and still is. We partner as the chaplain of the Dallas Mavericks since their conception as an organization. He was the chaplain in the Tom Landry days. I'm like, dog, how did you make it from your point A to your point B? Seems pretty great to me. He said, you really want to know, son? I said, yeah, I'm sitting here talking to you, aren't I? I really want to know. <laughs> I'm 18. Aren't you impressed? <laughs> he said, go read Hebrews chapter 11 and tell me what you think. I said, what is this, a spiritual Easter egg hunt? You're sitting right here. You can't just tell me how you made it. <laughs> he was like, no, son, you know how I roll. Go do your own research. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Verse 4. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was caught up. Verse 7. By faith, Noah built an ark. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed even though he had no idea where he was going. Verse 11. By faith, Sarah conceived even though she was barren. Verse 22, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. Verse 24, by faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 31, by faith, Rahab hid the spies. I said, I get it. Closed the book, 
Went back to my dad. I said, you did it by faith. He said, bingo, boy. I said, yeah, but uh, can you give me a little... <laughs> you preach a three-point sermon at least. <laughs> and he gave me one of the greatest Tony Evans-isms of all time. And I'm about to give it to you like three times. Because after this, you're going to say, can you give that to me again? And I'm going to say, no. I'll give, it, I'll give it to you again. It's Pine Cove. You've got to be nice. Faith is acting like it is so, even when it's not so, so that it might be so, simply because God said so. Faith is acting like it is so, even when it's not so, so that it might be so, simply because God said so. I'm going to do it one more time. Faith is acting like it is so, even when it's not so, so that it might be so, simply because God said so. So I'm like, Dad, so you're saying, okay, so swap. Uh, um, because he'll trip you up. Uh, so you're saying, like, just feel it, follow my heart. He said, follow your heart. That's a great American slogan, but it's anti-Bible. Jeremiah 17.9 actually says, the heart is the most deceitful of all and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? You followed your heart enough. Stop. I said, well, what do I do? He said, faith is simple, son. You just make your heart follow the truth, and then you'll be fine. All right, all right, all right. Take that lasso, get that heart, tighten it up, and drag it to the truth. Faith. I need you to go form, forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And when you operate by faith, you are starting the journey to the confetti that God has created you to experience. It's greatness. And then we get to the good stuff. I'm going to make you a great nation. We're going to talk a little bit about this tomorrow when I talk about Noah, but you're going to be able to look back and see that there was something that was well built. I'm going to make you a great name. Not just because of you but because you have a legacy that follows you, not easily forgotten. I'm going to have your back. You're going to notice me in the nuances of your life, like a fullback for a tailback, clearing the way and making intercession so that you can break through. And in you, a whole lot of people are going to be blessed. You know that's a true blessed man? The blessing is not the favor of God to you only. The blessing is the favor of God to you so that it might flow through you. God is not interested in a cul-de-sac man. He's looking for a conduit. But he's waiting for you. Go. Some of us have greatness a little bit wrong. We, as men, are passionate about building We'll talk about that tomorrow. We, we get the money. We got the house. We got this. We got that. We got... You're passionate about building, but 
building for the world have you forgotten in three seconds? One of my hardest moments as the Dallas Cowboys chaplain is when we had a death on the team. I was going up the, the, the jet to get on the plane or the charter jet at DFW Airport and normal business. I was kind of looking around. Everybody was kind of somber, but just thought they had a late night. Uh, so I'm going up the stairs and Jason Garrett's coming down with, with uh, Brian Wansley, who's kind of over operations and ticketing and all that kind of stuff. And so Jason Garrett's coming down. I back up, head coach. This time he grabs my arm and pulls me down the stairs with him. And I was thinking, you're going to cut the chaplain? <laughs> I had been through that before, so I knew to grab. <laughs> and uh, he looked me in the eyes, and he don't blink now. And he said, Jerry Brown Jr. died last night at, or this morning at 3 a.m. And he knocked me out. I said, you got to be kidding me. He said, nope. Y'all have heard the story, Josh Brent, the car accident, the whole deal. And so he said, you're the chaplain. This is why you're here. Get on the plane and do something. I said, uh, I got you, sir. Give me a second. Do, do, do. Uh, Tony Evans, I'm going to need some help with this one. I, uh, I've never been through this before. Uh, I need some pointers. No, I knew that uh, when mortality kicks in, all you can do is look up. So we got on the plane, and everybody kneeled from the back of the plane to Jerry Jones in the front. There's nowhere else you can go but that way. Prayed over the whole plane. We flew to Cincinnati. We were playing the Bengals. We came into chapel service, and guys that never come to chapel were in chapel. And the Spirit said, what else but gospel? Go. Preach the gospel. Seven players accepted Jesus Christ that night. Amen. And that was great. But there was a part of the story that hurt me and that made me realize life. When we get out there to play, put our toes on the line and sing the national anthem, and then the announcer says, Let's give a moment of silence to Jerry Brown Jr. All right, that's it. Line it up, fly the planes over the stadium, turn on the music and kick the ball off because we came here to see a football game. Am I missing something? I leaned over to my old teammate DeMarcus Ware and said, uh, so that's what we're here for, a moment of silence? You realize no matter how great you are, a whole stadium of people are going to give you 20 seconds. Leaned over to Mor uh, Morris Claiborne, who was there at the time, and said, hey, 20 seconds, huh? That's what we get. Or you can play your entire life for God who's holding an eternity in his hand. Seems like simple math. Don't chase after the wrong definition of greatness. You'll be going 
but you'll be going in the opposite direction from what God has called you to. He's not called you for a moment. He's called you for time, history, and eternity. Don't waste your time when greatness is waiting. I'll end with this. Father Abraham had many sons. Don't act like you don't know it. Many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Don't do any, I don't want to see that. It's the men's conference. Man, it's been over 4,000 years, and we're still singing about Abraham. That's greatness. And hopefully, there's some men in this room that over this weekend will say, you know what, it's time for me to go. And you'll get uncomfortable. You'll walk by faith. God will begin to show you things that you've never seen before in your life, your marriage, your finances, your career, your children, your grandchildren. And one day, they'll be able to say what I say about my two daddy, who was the first saved in our family, both of my granddads. Father so-and-so had many sons. And many sons had father so-and-so. And I am one of them. Because that will be your greatness. Can't wait to see you guys tomorrow.